Open your Bibles with you this morning, if you would, in your New Testament. Book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Appreciate Brian Bates and his music. One of my favorite pieces from a musician named Keith Green. Philippians chapter 3. Still in our series, Truth or Not, trying to help us develop this understanding of cultural values and Judeo-Christian values and those kinds of things. You hear those terms, you know, we're in the culture wars right now, so says the media. We're fighting over what we believe or don't believe and so on and so forth. So this series is to help us have some understanding, not of what you should believe, but of what the traditionalist Judeo-Christian perspective is, at least how I see it. And some will disagree and those are okay. But uh, So what I'm doing here is just teaching uh, a lot of the value systems that have formed us as a nation and formed us as a people. And today you're going to see that what we're dealing about, one of those values is that we are a broken people. The sinfulness of humanity. We know it. We see it on the news every night. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and, and how there is an antidote and there are things that can be better. In other words... We typically think of how bad people are, but there is an option. People don't have to be the way they are. When I look at people's lives and how they're struggling, I know that there is a better way. So we're going to talk about that today. Philippians chapter 3. As always, we begin with prayer. I'll give you a few moments to pray silently. Pray for those people, for those concerns that are in your heart. And then I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we again, we thank you. Whenever we come before you, we are humbled by your grace towards us. We thank you for this faith that we have in Jesus that saves us from our sin, saves us from ourselves, that gives us a better way. Thank you, Father, for not forcing it upon us, but giving us a chance to make the choice for good. We pray, Father, that you would work in our lives through this choice. We choose to follow Jesus. We choose to follow you to believe the teachings in your word, to base our lives upon those teachings, to follow the leading of your spirit, to become the people of God. We pray, Father, that you could use us to make an impact in this world. We ask for mercy. We know we're sinners. We are flawed, tainted, a mix of good and bad. Cleanse us, Father, as only you can. We claim the blood of Jesus on this. That you cleanse us not because we're worthy, but because Jesus died on the cross for us. We claim that gift. We receive it. We ask you to work in our lives. Lord, this morning we come in worship knowing that we need you every day. We ask for your help and the encouragement and strength that you can give. Help us to make decisions that honor you, to resist sin, 
to help people. To love people with good attitudes and a gracious spirit. We watch our news and are discouraged. Afraid, actually. Help us. We pray for wisdom for those who have power on this earth. Some have power legitimately. Others have just taken power. Regardless, give them wisdom. Give them humble hearts. Give them a willingness to do what is good for the people. We pray that our soldiers, our first responders would be protected. That they could do their job and save lives and make a difference in this world. We pray for the families of those that they might be comforted in their loss, loss of time. Give them hope for eventual reunions. We pray for peace on this earth. We struggle. It seems as if the only way we can make any headway is to kill somebody. And we know that's not the best way. But sometimes it seems that is the only way we know what to do. Help us. Father, we study your word. We ask that you would teach us. We ask, Father, that you would apply your truths to our spirits and change our hearts and lives. We love you, Father. We follow you and you alone and open ourselves up to your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. America strong. If you watch Channel 9 News like I do, or I don't know what it is if you have cable or whatever but David Muir always has that and the last segment in the news every night is America Strong and you're familiar with that if you watch the show and it's kind of an antidote to what was going on before you know what the news is I mean every day it's the same the details and the names and dates and places are different but it's always the same isn't it people doing bad things and that's the news I'm not sure why the news seems to focus on those things but we evidently like to hear it because we want more and more of it if it bleeds, it reads, and all those kinds of things. And yet, they have this thing called America Strong. And he said one night, this is kind of an antidote to what you've heard. We want you to be aware of the fact that all is not lost. And in this great nation of ours, there are good people doing good things. So, every night when they do this America Strong segment, it's always at the very end. It's just a, a little clip, maybe one or two minutes long, about a company in America or an individual or two in America that are doing something good with life and they normally start a business. Sometimes they start a ministry or something, a help ministry, something like that. And it's nothing more than something positive. The outstanding thing about America Strong is that it is positive. It's an antidote to what has gone before. The acknowledgement being that the news is always bad. And indeed, it almost always is. People doing horrible things to each other. And so we think of something positive. Sometimes we have to go to extremes to hear something strong. And sometimes it even takes a special segment in the news, America Strong, for us to realize, well, all is not lost. If you're like me, you wonder... Why do we have to do it like this? Why? Not only why does the news have to be so negative, but why is it so easy for the news to be so negative? I mean, they don't have to go very far to hear the news, and the news seems to be always bad. Nothing new here. What we're going to do today is 
look at Paul's explanation of exactly why it is like it is. Follow along with me if you would. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul was writing to normal folk like us. They just wanted to live their lives. They lived in a very pagan culture like us. A lot of their politicians were untrustworthy like many of ours. There were some good people, there were some good things, but by and large, the vision of the world tended to be towards the negative. And so there they were, Christians, people who followed Jesus, just trying to eke out an existence and make sense of the world and raise their kids and just, just be like us. I keep saying that because I want you to understand that the first century people really weren't any different. They didn't drive cars and they wore different clothes, but really, they're just us. We are them. And they were struggling. And, and Paul was trying to help them understand. And so he, he gave a spiritual explanation for the way the world was, the way the world is. And he wanted to explain that there is a reason people act like they do. And he went on to explain that the problem was what we know to be called sin. And so on screen, you can see this first truth, part of it, man's broken nature can be seen in every area of our lives. In other words, everything about us is tainted. Now before you let this get to a depressing thing, what it means is that there is this incredible capacity within us to do good or evil. We don't have to do evil, we don't have to do bad, but if we're not taught better, we probably won't do better. And even if we get taught better, sometimes it doesn't click because there's something within us that seems to make us go bad. The passage begins with a jarring assertion. And he says that some people are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Did you see that phrase? Some people are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now think about that. Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, used of God to write half of the New Testament, said God understands that some people are enemies of the gospel. Now that doesn't mean that God is their enemy. That means that they are God's enemy. So it's a one-sided thing. God universally loves everybody. Right? Doesn't matter who it is. Whether it's somebody who's the head of a great nation or somebody who's head of a third world nation and is an evil dictator. God loves them all equally. He loves good people and bad people. He wants good people and bad people to be saved. He wants everybody to conform their lives to the image of Jesus because that's the way he can bless them. You want your kids and grandkids to do good things so they can get a good life. You want them to avoid bad things so their lives will be better. You don't want them to suffer. This is just the way God is with us. When you understand how you love your friends and family, Understand that you do that, that you love them because you are patterned after God. God created you to love like that. 
take your love and your compassion towards those you love and broaden it out and you might get an image and an understanding of the way God loves us. Even if your kids are causing problems, you still love them. Do they make you angry? Yes, you still love them. Do you punish them? Yes, of course. Do you still love them? Of course you do. Nothing changes that. This is God's relationship towards us writ large. At the same time, God's very honest. Some people seem to fight against him and consciously reject his lead. And he understands that they are enemies of his. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't love them. It just means that from their side, they see God as an enemy. They see the gospel as an intrusion into life. I remember reading a skeptic. And I don't remember who it was. One of those guys that his job is to write articles, slamming religion, and those kinds of things. And he said something that kind of resonated with truth. He said, religion is really a person's way of trying to control the impulses of humanity. It's an issue of control. And that is exactly right. Our faith, God's involvement in our lives, are his efforts to lead us to live differently. And he doesn't force his control on us. However, and you know this, when the Holy Spirit has got his hold on you, when the Holy Spirit works in your life, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? He can squeeze you like no one other. And he can lead you to hopefully do the right thing. But he'd never force you. But anyway, the point is here that there are people out there who understand that they desire to fight against God. So on screen is a little bit of elaboration on this idea of the cross of Christ. And he explains this in the text that we read. Their desire is their God. So, in the church, there are people, and this is the ideal, that their desire is to follow God. Their desire is to reflect Jesus. Their desire is to find God's will and to live it. And that's how you and I, most of us think most of the time. But the reality is, in the world, there are many people whose desire is their God. In other words, the God that they serve is themselves. And the controlling impetus in everything they do is what they want to do. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but really the bottom line for many people is to do what they want. As opposed to Christians who have made a conscious decision to follow Jesus. Because when you receive Jesus as Savior, when you say Jesus saves me, and you're buying into that Lordship of Jesus, you're saying, okay God, tell me what to do. I want to do what you want me to do. Sometimes people will talk to me and say, well, Kevin, I just want to do what God wants me to do. What does God want me to do? And I invariably turn to biblical teachings because this is where God speaks most clearly. What, God does, what does God want you to do? Love your spouse. What does God want you to do? Be gracious to others. What does God want you to do? Restrain your impulses, etc., etc. Because those are biblical teachings. Those people that he's talking about that have become enemies of the cross of Christ, they have made a conscious choice to reject any kind of outside controls and have determined that the only thing that they want to do in life is what they want to do. You've known people like that. They're usually two years old, by the way. Have you ever noticed that? A little kid, two years old, unless he's really on a good mood and he's wanting to make mom and daddy happy, that's not his goal in life. His goal is to do what he wants today. And if it gets him into trouble, well, he can run. You know, and he can't hide, but he can run. And they're little children and things like that. And they just want what they want. And there are no outside controls. That's the only thing to think about. These are the kind of people that were outside the church. 
And surprisingly enough, it was just normal people. Some of them were evil. I mean, there were people in that ancient culture that were truly evil and were doing horrible things. But most people were just living their lives. Most people do not submit consciously to the teachings of Jesus. We live in a culture that's been heavily influenced by the culture, by the gospel, and we're fortunate. Watch that same newscast I referred to earlier, and you see a report of cultures and people all over the world that have consciously either rejected the gospel teachings or have never heard the gospel teachings. And they're just doing whatever they want. And sometimes they mean well, and they just want to be happy, and they just want to make people happy, but they do the things that keep them from achieving happiness. Sometimes what they do is very evil. Sometimes it's very selfish. Sometimes it's misguided. And these are enemies of the gospel because they are fighting against Jesus. Their desire is their God. By contrast, the Christian, you make a conscious choice to follow Jesus. So those that are enemies reject the teachings of biblical, biblical stuffs. And again, our first responders will be protected. That they could do their job and save lives and make a difference in this world. We pray for the families of those that they might be comforted in their loss, loss of time. Give them hope for eventual reunions. We pray for peace on this earth. We struggle. It seems as if the only way we can make any headway is to kill somebody. And we know that's not the best way. But sometimes it seems that is the only way we know what to do. Help us. Father, we study your word. We ask that you would teach us. We ask, Father, that you would apply your truths to our spirits and change our hearts and lives. We love you, Father. We follow you and you alone. And open ourselves up to your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. America Strong. If you watch Channel 9 News like I do, or I don't know what it is if you have uh, cable or whatever, but David Muir always has that. And the last segment in the news every night is America Strong. And you're familiar with that if you watch the show. And it's kind of an antidote to what was going on before. You know what the news is. I mean, every day it's the same. The details and the names and dates and places are different. But it's always the same, isn't it? People doing bad things. And that's the news. I'm not sure why the news seems to focus on those things, but we evidently like to hear it because we want more and more of it. If it bleeds, it reads, and all those kinds of things. And yet, they have this thing called America Strong, and he said one night, this is kind of an antidote to what you've heard. We want you to be aware of the fact that all is not lost, and in this great nation of ours, there are good people doing good things. So, Every night when they do this America Strong segment, it's always at the very end. It's just a, a little clip, maybe one or two minutes long, about a company in America or an individual or two in America that are doing something good with life. And they normally start a business. Sometimes they start a ministry or something, a help ministry, something like that. And it's nothing more than something positive. The outstanding thing about America Strong is that it is positive. It's an antidote to what has gone before. The acknowledgement being that the news is always bad. And indeed, it almost always is. People doing horrible things to each other. And so we 
think of something positive. And sometimes we have to go to extremes to hear something strong. And sometimes it even takes a special segment in the news, America Strong, for us to realize, well, all is not lost. If you're like me, you wonder, why do we have to do it like this? Why? Not only why does the news have to be so negative, but why is it so easy for the news to be so negative? I mean, they don't have to go very far to hear the news, and the news seems to be always bad. Nothing new here. What we're going to do today is look at Paul's explanation of exactly why it is like it is. Follow along with me, if you would. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul was writing to normal folk like us. They just wanted to live their lives. They lived in a very pagan culture like us. A lot of their politicians were untrustworthy like many of ours. There were some good people, there were some good things, but by and large, the vision of the world tended to be towards the negative. And so there they were, Christians, people who followed Jesus, just trying to eke out an existence and make sense of the world and raise their kids and just, just be like us. I keep saying that because I want you to understand that the first century people really weren't any different. They didn't drive cars and they wore different clothes, but really, they're just us. We are them. And they were struggling. And, and Paul was trying to help them understand. And so he, he gave a spiritual explanation for the way the world was, the way the world is. And he wanted to explain that there is a reason people act like they do. And he went on to explain that the problem was what we know to be called sin. And so on screen, you can see this first truth part of it, man's broken nature can be seen in every area of our lives. In other words, everything about us is tainted. Now, before you let this get to a depressing thing, what it means is that there is this incredible capacity within us to do good or evil. We don't have to do evil. We don't have to do bad. But if we're not taught better, we probably won't do better. And even if we get taught better, sometimes it doesn't click because there's something within us that seems to make us go bad. The passage begins with a jarring assertion. And he says that some people are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Did you see that phrase? Some people are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now think about that. Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, used of God to write half of the New Testament, said God understands that some people are enemies of the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean that God is their enemy. That means that they are God's enemy. So, it's a one-sided thing. God universally loves everybody, right? Doesn't matter who it is. 
whether it's somebody who's the head of a great nation or somebody who's head of a third world nation and is an evil dictator. God loves them all equally. He loves good people and bad people. He wants good people and bad people to be saved. He wants everybody to conform their lives to the image of Jesus because that's the way he can bless them. You want your kids and grandkids to do good things so they can get a good life. You want them to avoid bad things so their lives will be better. You don't want them to suffer. This is just the way God is with us. When you understand how you love your friends and family, understand that you do that, that you love them because you are patterned after God. God created you to love like that. Take your love and your compassion towards those you love and broaden it out and you might get an image and an understanding of the way God loves us. Even if your kids are causing problems, you still love them. Do they make you angry? Yes, you still love them. Do you punish them? Yes, of course. Do you still love them? Of course you do. Nothing changes that. This is God's relationship towards us writ large. At the same time, God's very honest. Some people seem to fight against him and consciously reject his lead and he understands that they are enemies of his. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't love them. It just means that from their side, they see God as an enemy. They see the gospel as an intrusion into life. I remember reading a skeptic, and I don't remember who it was, one of those guys that his job is to write articles, slamming religion and those kinds of things. And he said something that, kind of resonated with truth. He says religion is really a person's way of trying to control the impulses of humanity. It's an issue of control. And that is exactly right. Our faith, God's involvement in our lives, are his efforts to lead us to live differently. And he doesn't force his control on us. However, and you know this, when the Holy Spirit has got his hold on you, when the Holy Spirit works in your life, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? He can squeeze you like no one other. And he can lead you to hopefully do the right thing. But he'd never force you. But anyway, the point is here that there are people out there who understand that they desire to fight against God. So on screen is a little bit of elaboration on this idea of the cross of Christ. And he explains this in the text we read. Their desire is their God. So, in the church, there are people, and this is the ideal, that their desire is to follow God. Their desire is to reflect Jesus. Their desire is to find God's will and to live it. And that's how you and I, most of us think most of the time. But the reality is, in the world, there are many people whose desire is their God. In other words, the God that they serve is themselves. And the controlling impetus in everything they do is what they want to do. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but really the bottom line for many people is to do what they want. As opposed to Christians who have made a conscious decision to follow Jesus. Because when you receive Jesus as Savior, when you say Jesus saves me, and you're buying into that Lordship of Jesus, you're saying, okay God, tell me what to do. I want to do what you want me to do. Sometimes people will talk to me and say, well, Kevin, I just want to do what God wants me to do. What does God want me to do? And I invariably turn to biblical teachings because this is where God speaks most clearly. What, God does, what does God want you to do? Love your spouse. What does God want you to do? Be gracious to others. What does God want you to do? Restrain your impulses, etc., etc. Because those are biblical teachings. 
those people that he's talking about that have become enemies of the cross of Christ, they have made a conscious choice to reject any kind of outside controls and have determined that the only thing that they want to do in life is what they want to do. You've known people like that. They're usually two years old, by the way. Have you ever noticed that? A little kid, two years old, unless he's really on a good mood and he's wanting to make mom and daddy happy, that's not his goal in life. His goal is to do what he wants today. And if it gets him into trouble, well, he can run. You know, and he can't hide, but he can run. And they're little children and things like that. And they just want what they want. And there are no outside controls. That's the only thing to think about. These are the kind of people that were outside the church. And surprisingly enough, it was just normal people. Some of them were evil. I mean, there were people in that ancient culture that were truly evil and were doing horrible things. But most people were just living their lives. Most people do not submit consciously to the teachings of Jesus. We live in a culture that's been heavily influenced by the culture, by the gospel, and we're fortunate. Watch that same newscast I referred to earlier, and you see a report of cultures and people all over the world that have consciously either rejected the gospel teachings or have never heard the gospel teachings. And they're just doing whatever they want. And sometimes they mean well, and they just want to be happy, and they just want to make people happy, but they do the things that keep them from achieving happiness. Sometimes what they do is very evil. Sometimes it's very selfish. Sometimes it's misguided. And these are enemies of the gospel because they are fighting against Jesus. Their desire is their God. By contrast, the Christian, you make a conscious choice to follow Jesus. So those that are enemies reject the teachings of biblical, biblical stuffs. And again, we typically think that people that don't go to church are evil, and you know better than that. You and I have good friends. And they're good people. But they don't follow Jesus. The Bible says those are the enemies of the gospel. And this is one of the things that was so difficult for Christians to understand because they had this concept that there were good people out there and everybody, you know, just wants to be happy. And then there's some truth there. But it was, it's, it was and it is very difficult to understand that there is this binary system from God's perspective. There are people who follow Jesus and there are people who do not follow Jesus. And there's no one in between if their lives aren't lived in submission to Jesus Christ and following biblical teachings, their lives are following something else or somebody else, and they are essentially enemies of the gospel. Now, Jesus understood this. He said this too. In one passage, he did mention the fact that people reject him. Their glory is their shame. Means this. The things that they do that they're proud of are the things which bring shame upon their lives. Now, no one would ever consciously bring shame on their lives. I mean, I've never met anyone who said, I want people to think I'm stupid. I've never met anyone like that. I want to do something that is so disgusting that people will be just disgusted with me and will shun me. I've never heard anyone say that. But I've seen people do those things, and so have you. Their glory is their shame. What they're doing is trying to make themselves happy. What they're doing is trying to get what they want. And sometimes the very thing that they choose is that which brings shame upon their lives. 
and they glory in that. You see, it's a different value system. So when I talk about this Judeo-Christian value system, it's a different system. It's a different way of thinking. The way you and I think is educated by Scripture and shaped by the Holy Spirit's life on us. And those people that haven't had that influence are living by a different value system. Their value system is what I want is important. The two-year-old that I mentioned. The two-year-old just does what he or she wants. That's us sometimes. Their minds are set on earthly things. Just what it says. Instead of thinking heavenly things, and I don't mean walking around thinking about heaven and the streets of gold and banqueting tables. For the Christian, and I know how I am, I know how some of you are, if we choose to follow Jesus and we take our faith seriously, that means that we go through life and, and not all the time, but we often think, well, what does God want me to do? Or before we say something or do something, we think about what the preacher said in a sermon or what you remember from, from grandma talking to you or something you read in the Bible. And somewhere along the way, you pick up these influences that are godly influences. Those are heavenly influences. And whenever you think like that, you're thinking heavenly things as opposed to those people who think earthly things. Now, earthly things aren't necessarily evil, but they're not necessarily Christian. Trying to think of an easy example. Don't want to be too offensive. I get tired of telling you about all my flaws. But I generally don't get mad if I talk about me. So it's okay. You know. I have flaws in my life. I know that's hard to understand. Hard to grasp. I'm not less than perfect. But sometimes things consume me. Depends on the season of the year. Now Wes, you don't understand. I get consumed with motorcycles. Now, I had a motorcycle magazine collection. It ran from 1963 to 1998. Had them all. Boxes. My wife was so sick of those boxes of old magazines. I would literally get out a decade of magazines and go through them. And when I was done with that decade, yes, 120, I would get out another decade and I would go through them. I did that multiple times, over and over and over. All those years, Tammy was married to me and she knew that I drug these things around and she'd go, oh my gosh. And after 20 or 30 years, they were infested with bugs and critters and all those kinds of things. And so I'd clean them off and put them in a clean box and read them again. And I, I don't know why, but it was something that consumed me. And finally, I realized I had a problem. And it wasn't my wife, it was me with the magazines. And so finally, I threw those things away. And it was a dumpster full of stuff, and I, I sometimes regret it. But I, I needed to get that influence out of my life because I couldn't resist it was a consuming desire. It's an earthly thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with motorcycles. They're great things. However, if that's all you can think about, it's become one of those earthly things that pulls you away from God. For you, it might be something else. Sometimes you look at these athletes, and all they think about is their sport. And all they have is their sport. And all they can read about is their sport. Think the biggest Chiefs fanatic or football fanatic or tennis fanatic you can imagine. And that's an earthly thing. And it becomes a consuming thing. And that's all they can think about. And there's nothing wrong with that thing. But the power they give it over their lives has become an evil thing. And it can lead people to leave good families, leave good careers, and lose everything sometimes for the sake of whatever is consuming them. So when Paul was talking about those that have, have their mindset on earthly things, he isn't necessarily talking about people that are seen as evil people. They can be very good people. 
whose hobby or career or fascination with something has become a consuming thing to them and they can't make time for anything else and that's all they can think of. And honoring God and thinking of those things of God simply don't make the cut. There's just no time. And this is what he's talking about. So people outside the church, and some people, some interpreters say that he was talking about the Jewish people that were in the church who didn't have time for the gospel or anything like that. I think probably he was talking about that, but also talking about just regular people in the community. And they were good people. He was trying to get the Christians in the church to understand the difference between Christians and non-Christians. Other than the obvious, they follow Jesus. They make, it, they make that decision to receive Jesus as Savior. And he said one of the big differences is the Christian focuses on heavenly things. And the non-Christian focuses on earthly things. And of course we have earthly things too. And, and things kind of take our time and those kinds of things. And we have to fight that. But we have to understand that there is a difference and the value system that the Bible teaches us is, for Christians, one of the values is, things of this earth are not as important as things of eternity. And that's the big truth here. The things that are eternal, God, life in the faith, those kinds of, those are much more important than anything on this earth. Therefore, it, it is worthy of your time. Going to church... Staying awake during a sermon, reading your Bible, is a worthy endeavor. It is as useful and as valuable as anything you can do in this life. And I know that's hard for some people, and they'll never grasp it. You know, and uh, I tell people, I know sometimes, you know, people find out I'm a preacher, and all, all of a sudden they, they step back like they're going to get zapped or something. But sometimes they ask me, well, Kevin, what do you do? And I tell them, and their eyes roll back in their head going, oh, because they think, what a miserable existence I must have. You mean you go to church every week? Well, yeah, that's part of it. And you read that Bible all the time? Well, yeah. And, and I try to explain a lot of things, but it's challenging sometimes. And their eyes just roll back in their head, literally sometimes. And I can tell that they would never, ever want to have a life like I have. I happen to think my life was pretty good, but, you know, they, they just can't imagine things of the Spirit being interesting or worthwhile or worth the effort. You see, it's a value system. So this value system that the, is given to us by Jesus leads us to think differently. Look at verse 18 again, if you would. Still chapter 3. Verse 18. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies hurt. Enemies hurt the cause. So think about this. One of the main distinctions, other than the fact that we have this profession of faith in Jesus as Savior, one of the main distinctions is, our goal as Christian is to live a life that demonstrates the effects of Jesus on other people and on our life, right? We want people to know we're Christian. We want them to see that because we're Christian, there is a characteristic to us. When we're thinking and when we're on our game and we're all prayed up and all those kinds of things, we want people to see that Jesus has made us better people, better than we were. We want people to see that Jesus has made us more compassionate, maybe more generous, 
may be more consistent in our morality and those kinds of things. And we want people to be able to follow us to the gospel. Whereas those people that are not Christian are seen as the enemy of the gospel because they do the exact opposite. They simply aren't concerned with leading people to the gospel. So if you follow them, you'll go well, wherever they're going, but it will not be towards the gospel. See, that's the test. Does someone in their example of life lead them to seek Jesus or does it lead them to simply go in another direction? An enemy leads people away from the gospel. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So he's not talking about horrible people necessarily. Just people in their natural state. So on screen is this passage. Read this with me if you would. The one who is not with me is against me. And the one who does not gather with me scatters. This was Jesus' words himself. So Jesus had this binary understanding. And the reason I use that term, binary is two. And in our culture we have rejected all binary teachings this culture has and so instead of just men and women we have all sorts of different things and, and those kinds of things and we have this idea that either or is always wrong and yet here's Jesus saying listen you're with me or you're against me there's that binary thing isn't there in other words there aren't people who are neutral towards Jesus if you're not following Jesus you have taken a stand against Jesus so said Jesus. Now philosophers don't like a lot of the things Jesus said. And this is one of them because it's an either or. We want options. You know when someone, if I go to, to order a hamburger and they say, well do you want the special burger or the junior burger? I said, well give me options. You know, I, I, I want to know what, what, what's on them and those kinds of things. You follow Jesus or you don't. You are a friend of the gospel or you are an enemy of the gospel. So said Jesus. You're with me or against me. And that idea of leading people is that last phrase, who does not gather with me scatters. If your lifestyle might lead people to follow Jesus or might lead people to find out about Jesus, then you're a gatherer. If people following your lifestyle would never think of Jesus or never think that you're following a higher power or something like that, then you are scattering because people aren't learning anything about Jesus by watching you. And again, the value system is Christians want to be a gatherer. We choose not just to follow Jesus for ourselves. It's, it's not a selfish thing. When we follow Jesus, we choose to live so that others can see Christ in us. So choose to be a gatherer, not a scatterer. The end result, look at verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. There is a cost for those people who live without Jesus. Of course, that is eternal destruction. That's a thing, people. We haven't outgrown this. We don't talk about it much. And in this culture, if you mention heaven and hell, people think you're a goon bird or whatever. And you're outdated because everybody rejects that. And the reality is those are very real. What happens to you after this life is a very real issue. Don't ever be afraid to say, well, I believe in hell. Just understand that the people who populate hell aren't necessarily bad people. They're people who rejected Jesus as Savior. That's the test. The test isn't, are they good or not? The test isn't, are they nice or not? Do they pick up their dog poo and all those kinds of things? Those are nice things, but they aren't the test. The test is, 
do they follow Jesus? He who is not with me is against me. And then Paul says, whose end is destruction. So he's talking to Christians, and they're struggling with this whole new Christianity thing. Many of them in the church at Philippi hadn't, had been Christians maybe for just months or a couple of years, and they didn't understand. And their mamas and daddies hadn't taught them much, and their grandparents hadn't taught them much. And, you know, and they didn't have the completed New Testament like you and I have. So they were having to hear the same thing over and over and over. When you follow Jesus, you follow him into eternity. When you reject Jesus, you reject him into eternity. And they had to hear that over and over and over. Because it's a big truth, particularly when you realize, wait a minute, my friend doesn't follow Jesus. Yes, this is why you need to take seriously your example. Will your example lead your friend to Jesus? Or will your example scatter them and push them away? Because it's very real, and this is exactly why Paul tied the two together. In verse 19, whose end is destruction. Those people outside the faith are bound for destruction. And it means just that. There's no interpretation here. An eternal separation from God is, is the penalty for rejection of Jesus. It's not the penalty for, la for not being perfect. It's not what we're talking about. It's the idea of following Jesus as Savior, and that's that Christian value system. That eternal life is found in Jesus, and only in Jesus. You can't fix it by yourself. You're broken. But Jesus does want to help you. And on screen is this next idea. God's power can transform us now and forever. My daughter works at a crisis pregnancy center. Very proud of her. Good gal. She deals with people who are really struggling. Typical girl that comes into her office is 13 to 14 years old, pregnant, doesn't know what to do. Mom and dad often kicked them out of the house. They don't know what to do. Sometimes they want an abortion. Sometimes they just want help. A couple of years ago, a girl came in the door. She was a young teenager, had a boyfriend. Neither one of them were Christian. She was pregnant, wanted an abortion. Where she works as a Christian child care, a Christian pregnancy centers so they don't do abortions don't recommend them but they do help them they have doctors and nurses on staff they gave her a checkup told her all those kinds of things she was so many months pregnant she was also a heroin addict worst case physically had the appearance of a heroin addict you've seen the pictures horrible pretty little girl train wreck boy was the same good looking kid train wreck heroin addict worst case didn't know what to do. They did what they could. She wasn't interested in anything they had to say. They prayed with her and she went away. Never saw her again. Several months later, she came back in. She had lost a child, had a miscarriage. Still heroin addict. Pregnant again. Same boyfriend. Still heroin addict. Pregnant. You know, they're just not getting it. She says normally when this, these people come in, they know that this is going to be a failure. And the staff braces themselves because these people swoop in. These are mamas and grandmas that love these little girls and just want to help. And they swooped in on her and loved her and cleaned her up and gave her all the things, the medical things that they could give. They have a full-time doctor on staff and treated her, etc., etc. 
and told her, you know, you've got to get off drugs and, you know, and she wanted an abortion again. And then again, they said, you know, we can't help you with that. We would encourage you to try something else, but you've got to get off drugs. Not interested. She walked away again. And then a few months later, and this, these are the long stories here, my daughter gets a call from this girl and she's still pregnant, still addicted, but she's gotten involved with this Christian ministry that has given her and her husband a place to stay. And they've got to do these things. And one of the requirements is to stay here is that you've got to clean yourself up and get off drugs. And then you've got to get a job. Now remember, she's a heroin addict, again, pregnant, again, got nothing. Out of desperation, they just move into this apartment that is a Christian-run ministry called Hillcrest. You've heard of it in Liberty. So persuasive were these people at Hillcrest, staffed by Christian volunteers, mamas and grandmas. They just loved this little girl. They even loved the boy. And they got her into a drug treatment plan with her boyfriend. And they broke the habit. They broke that cycle. So loving and persuasive were these Christians that the little girl received Jesus. Such a change happened in her life that her boyfriend received Jesus. She's still pregnant. Every indicator was that her baby would be a crack baby. Significant problems, you know the story. When she called my daughter though, she said, I, I want you to hear this story. And so she came in with this beautiful little baby, born healthy. No symptoms whatsoever. Crack mama, crack daddy. Somehow God blessed him with a perfect little baby. Today, and this is all in the past of course, today this girl and her now husband, clean, following Jesus, raising a beautiful baby girl, working at a Christian ministry as an instructor, helping people get their lives straightened out. When Paul talked about the transformation that can occur in Jesus, that's what he's talking about. People can change. It's a hard story to hear. They don't always all end up like that. In fact, as my daughter said, you know, Daddy, the reason this is such a great story is it never happens. And she admitted that. She goes, we fail almost all the time. They come in, they're addicted, they're pregnant, they leave and they get an abortion and they go on and do the same thing over and over and they ruin their lives. She goes, it's not very often that people get saved and get cleaned up and have healthy babies and, and do it. And so this was something that just, she said, just so persuaded everybody there that they were doing the right thing. Because, you know, it's a discouraging ministry and there's a lot of negative press today about Christian ministries of these kinds and that kind of thing. But one story of God's transformative powers is enough to keep him going. And that's what she said. So two ideas here. When you have a Christian value system, it's not going to fit in this world. Because we value people. We value God's teaching. We value self-discipline. We value self-restraint. Everything that our culture is against, we value because those are the things that God gives us. And, that's, and we just buy into that. It's not necessarily something that it sounds so much better, therefore we do it. It's because it's of Jesus. It's a, a heavenly thing. And 
It is a total transformation. Look in verse 20 if you would. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. In other words, God's power that raised Jesus from the dead is the very power that can transform people's lives. When my daughter was telling me that little story, I thought, I gotta tell the sucker. I'll write a sermon around this one because it's true. You know, preachers are desperate for stories. And sometimes the stories you tell, they're not necessarily true, but they're good stories anyway. And there's nothing wrong with that. But this is one of those real life things. God's transformative power helped the little girl and her husband break that cycle and get rid of all those things that were destroying them and dragging them down and help them. And that is exactly the effects of the gospel. By following Jesus... You say, that's what I want to be a part of. By rejecting Jesus, you say, I'm not so sure. Too religious, too whatever. But Jesus said, listen, you can follow me or not. And that is the choice, isn't it? You can follow Jesus with your life and with your heart, or you can not. It's your choice. God doesn't force you to do anything. Just understand that for everybody on the planet, everybody... A choice to reject Jesus is a choice to be an enemy of the gospel. A choice to live by your own desires is a choice to lead people away from the gospel, to be a scatterer. Whereas a choice to follow Jesus is that decision to be a gatherer, to lead people to Jesus, to get involved in people's lives, to encourage people. On screen is just a clothing, closing thought. We are a people broken by our sin, but... God's power at work through our faith in Jesus can fix our broken hearts and minds forever. It is hard to change your life. Self-help books don't do very well because we have this thing. We fight. And fight can only be won when God comes in and is allowed to help. But when you do that, when you allow God to help you, when you say, Jesus, I cannot do this on my own, then you can break the cycle, whatever the cycle is. But the choice is yours, isn't it? No threats, no turn or burn sermon, just this understanding there is a life that is better. And as follower of Jesus, you have a chance not only to experience that in life, but to lead other people in that endeavor. Michelle's gonna come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. Let me encourage you, follow Jesus. Most of you are already Christ followers. Good. Make those decisions that will allow Jesus to use you to gather and lead others to faith. Would you stand with me?
you, Michelle. Chrissy, got an announcement? All right. Okay, this Wednesday at 10 in the morning, we're having our first hostess meeting for the ladies' brunch, which is the first Saturday in December. So if you think you're interested, please come, or you can at least contact me. My phone number and everything's in the... Um, uh, directory. directory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In any case, uh, give it a serious thought, because if we don't have enough hostesses, then not that many women can come, but we're going to have it regardless. And we have uh, uh, Officer Abraham from the Independence Police Department that's going to come and tell us about the CIT uh, branch of the police. So I think you will enjoy it. So try to come. Thanks. What's CIT, Christy? Okay, crisis involvement. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, if there's a crisis, these are the guys in the training special uh, to come and help out. So you, you may be seeing one of these guys today. You never know. Okay, thank you, Christy. Remember, our Wednesday night is our Thanksgiving meal. The reason we do it this early in the month is so we beat the rush. You get turkey and dressing, and so you're not sick of it yet. You will be in two weeks, but you won't be this week until after Wednesday night. So I would encourage you to come. And also, there is an announcement in your bulletin about a, a special ministry we're trying to start here. It'll be here on Thursday at noon. You might want to take part of that. Look at that note. You, you'd be welcome to come. Dave, would you come and lead us in a closing prayer, please? Let's pray. Dearly Father, again, we thank you for what you do in our lives, and we ask that you help heal our hearts and our minds, looking for opportunities to help others. Be with us this week as we search those opportunities. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.